everybody. Welcome to Kevin's Kids on the Mad Bros Media Zoom podcast, the very latest medium on the Mad Bros Media saga. Kevin's Kids is a new podcast series devoted to Kevin Smith and the iconic characters and actors he's brought to life on the VUSQ universe. And what a treat we have, because our first guest is author, actor, composer, and we know him also as the Chulies guy from Clerks, Scott Schiappo. Thank you so much, Pat. It's great to yeah, be I'm- here. So how you been through the COVID? Oh, gosh. Well, you know, I, I feel very, very fortunate and blessed that uh, I had a couple of films actually get released during 2020. And I shot something during 2020 as well, which pretty amazing. What the director did was we shot our own segments uh, with our own cameras. And he was on a Skype call mm. on the phone directing us it was it was all remote but it came out great bizarre right yeah and um but i feel fortunate during covid i i did stay fairly busy but it's been it's been crazy this is just a you know madness have you had a chance to go out and do anything since the, the covid started well we um like hang out at your favorite doing, restaurant or anything like that, or get any. No, we I have we have any not friends. Been, my my uh, significant other and I have not been to a movie or to a restaurant since this started. I guess where we've been mm. really locked down. Um, a film a film called Wits End mm-hmm. had a screening last August, and uh, we went to that with masks and gloves. Mm. But aside from that event, as far as a live event, I have not been doing much at all. It's but that's going to change now, right? Yeah, hopefully by the by the end of the year. Sure. What's uh, you're in New York, right? Well, I'm in New Jersey. New I'm Jersey, in Northern, okay. Yeah, all right. Northern New Jersey. I'm like ten minutes. So have you, you you haven't gone to the new stash yet, right? Because the day not. I opened a brand new uh, James Bob Salem Bob secret stash. I know. I know. Uh, Ernie O'Donnell was uh, working on it for a while, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing it. You know what? I was gonna. I was thinking about this this morning. I said, you know what? They don't have any Chulies, or they don't have the Chulies guy's shirt or merchandise. You need to talk to Kevin. And say, hey, I get. I should have some merchandise too. You know, everybody else got their <laughs> merchandise. Movies got it. Jay's got it. You know. Well, that's there's a lot of there's a lot of merch and a lot of figurines. Uh, but if you notice from the original Clerks, uh-huh. uh, you got. You got Jay, Bob, Dante, and Randall, but you never had any of the women. Yeah, too. We don't have Veronica. You know, there's no Marilyn. There's no yeah. uh, Veronica. There's yeah. no um, Caitlin. Yeah. Um, hey, you know, I don't know. Our, I don't know how big a fan you are, but did you see um, Yoga Hosers? Yes. Yeah, I saw Yoga Hosers. I think they have some stuff on Yoga Hosers too, but right. Well, they had a big Chuli's gum. In the back of the store, big sign. Yeah, I. You know what? I it, I, I only seen it once, goes, so maybe I will have to go back and look at it again. <laughs> it comes and goes pretty quickly, but when yeah. people were reaching out to me because I went to see it, uh-huh. but when people people were reaching out to me saying it's a big Julie's gum placard mm-hmm. in the store, which I thought was wonderful. Speaking of which, I just uh, uh, Kevin had just in an anatomy of a scene with you and the, the clerk scene and said that he wants to make truly a reality gum. Did you hear about that? Did you 
See that? Um, I don't recall him talking about actually making the gum. I did. <clears throat> excuse me. Of course, I did see the uh, the uh, scene segment where now he's doing uh, see you know he's going over certain scenes from his mm -hmm. films, but I didn't see the part about the gum. But yeah, he he wants to make a he's a he made movies a reality. Now he wants to make the Chulies gum reality. So I was just wondering, uh, is he going to have you do commercials <laughs> if the Chili's Gum ex will exist? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I don't know. Um, that would really be pretty hairy. But uh, we did Wizard World Virtual about a month ago. It yeah. was me, Brian O'Halloran, and Marilyn Gigliotti. <clears throat> and then Jay and Bob mm -hmm. sort of photobombed, and they came into the video, yeah. which was awesome. But... Um, <laughs> Kevin had mentioned that there's a really good chance in Clerks 3 you're going to see a lot of the older cast. So that was yeah. exciting. I think but he said, yeah, everybody everybody that was at, on that panel was going to be there. So I know he – and he, he said that, you know, you're an important part because you're actually the first part, first person in the, the sequence of Clerks. I mean, not just Dante, but the interaction, the first person that Dante has to deal with is you. Right. Yes, I you know what we were doing a Q&A not too long ago and somebody pointed that out that because you know the viewers universe now is so vast with so many characters uh -huh. but the very first two characters you ever get to meet from the viewers universe are Dante, Dante's dog uh -huh. and me. So it's pretty cool. It's a really cool distinction. And then the same in Vogue as soon as uh, he goes to do a uh, party it's it's cuts right to you on the ground, <laughs> so it's yeah, like both yeah. are interacting in both movies in the beginning. Yeah, yeah, um, and both times going head to head with Brian, which has been uh, a lot of fun because we're we're friend, we've uh, become uh, good friends in real life. Yeah, I, I just uh, watched your podcast with him last night. Uh, how is he like in real real life? I mean, he seems like he's pretty down to earth. What's oh, what's it like hanging out with with Brian? A majority of. Um, the time I've spent with Brian has been what you might call business and pleasure. Cause mm. if, if we go to a lot of cons together mm. and there's a lot of conventions, uh, he's on the East coast as well. Uh, there's a lot of conventions that um, we'll get booked. He'll be the wheel man and I'll be the wingman. So we've mm. spent a lot of time on the road together, but he's been awesome to me. He's been, uh, he looks out for me. He, uh, -huh. uh He's a sweet, sweet guy. He's hilarious. You know, uh -huh. in real life, he's a lot more like Randall. Uh-huh. You know, he's really quick with the wisecracks when he needs to be. Uh, but, um, and a very intelligent guy, too. Mm -hmm. Cool. Now, you started off as a musician when you were younger, right? That's correct. But what, uh, what drew you to drama from being a musician and getting into the acting? Well, toward, towards the end of high school, mm -hmm. I sort of got an acting bug and I worked on some theater projects in high school. And shortly after high school, I really started to get the bug primarily. And we're going back a lot, a lot of years. Mm -hmm. um, Saturday Night Live was still, I don't want to say new, new, but it was mm -hmm. not long after Belushi had left. I was old enough to remember that. I was in high school. I was in high school when he died, unfortunately. But I started to really gravitate to sketch comedy. And I ended up being very fortunate to, 
I got a guest spot on a community access channel mm-hmm. playing classical guitar. Nice. And the producer liked it a lot. Mm-hmm. And he said, how about you do a segment every week? He thought it would be music. I came back and I asked if I could do sketch comedy. Mm-hmm. It was completely opposite of what he wanted, but he, he was happy to have us. So I got the bug there and I've, I've always loved film. I've always, always, the, my, the two loves of my life are music and film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw some of your clips on your site. There's some really good stuff and some really funny like that. I got I got the stuff, yo. I was cracking up with that little piece. It's pretty funny. And then you, and then you have Girls Night Out, which right. is more serious. So you have a you have a really good versatile uh, acting uh, bug. I feel like I'm really blessed. You know, I'm yeah. I'm fortunate to have been cast both as a character actor, mm-hmm. and occasionally I'm a leading man, and occasionally it's drama, occasionally mm-hmm. it's comedy, and I just. And, you know, happy to take it all on as long as I feel I could bring something to the character and the script, you know? Cool. Who, who, would, who would be your, like, role model for acting? Gosh, there's a lot of guys. Uh, a lot of guys. The guys that I grew up really, really admiring are probably the usual suspects. De Niro, Pacino, mm-hmm. Jack Nicholson, Dustin Hoffman. A lot of the guys that came up in the 70s mm-hmm. where they sort of broke the mold of what a leading man can be. Old school Hollywood, a leading man was just this impossibly good looking guy. Uh, but then leading men became what you would call the guy next door. Mm-hmm. And those are the actors that really helped forge that. Um, more modern day into the 80s, uh, I was really taken with the early films of Mickey, anything that Mickey Rourke has done. Um, Angel Hearts, one of my own all-time favorite films. Mm -hmm. Diner. um, Pope of Greenwich Village. Oh, I I saw him and Eric Roberts. Those scenes with him and Eric Roberts are are classic. I, 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 young enough to, I saw it in the theater Mm -hmm. and was just like, I mean, Rourke just, he has a quality. He just explodes through the screen, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, um, if you had the chance to work with Mickey Rourke, what movie would have, and I know you said you, you would have loved to work on Angel Heart, but if you had a chance to work on one of his movies with him, what movie would that be? Oh, you know, it, I mean, it would probably be Angel Heart, although uh-huh. there weren't too many roles that would be open for me now that I think about it. Um, I mean, that's him and De Niro mm-hmm. and some really fabulous character actors. Um, it would have been great to have been in Diner. Yeah. Diner, you know, is a very fun movie. And again, that came out when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. And uh, we could really relate to it, my buddies and I. Just a bunch of guys sitting around the diner talking, you know. Mm-hmm. That would be one of them, too. Yeah. Looking through my notes really quick here. Uh, sure. There was a... Oh, Don't Shoot. I know shoot. I know. you said you that was one, one thing you didn't like, but I was curious. 
um, if you had the chance to rewrite it, would you rewrite it to make it more of a modern character for for your age? Because you said it was a twenty. The, when you wrote it, it was like a twenty something, and then you you shot it as a in your forties. Right. Well, the story behind that is I actually wrote the script in my twenties, mm -hmm. late twenties, mm -hmm. early thirties, and uh, it, we never did anything with it. Mm -hmm. It was a short. We were going to shoot a short in the hopes that we would get funding to turn it into a feature. And then Michael P. Rusin, who I've worked with a few times over the years, and, and I'm very happy with the films I've done with him, Idiots Are Us and uh, Creepy Tales and Girls Night Out. He said, listen, let's do this now, now that we can do it. And it didn't dawn on me just how different, excuse me, the dynamic was. Mm for that leading character. That leading character really needed to be in his late 20s, early 30s, for you to have empathy for him. Uh, a man in his late, mid to late 40s, uh, who's still that kind of lost, not a terrible thing, it could happen to anybody, mm -hmm. but it, it went against the intention of the film. And although we're very fortunate, we won a couple of awards for that, Mm -hmm. And I'm very, very critical of myself. Mm -hmm. If anything, if I were to do that again, I would just put somebody else in that role and I would play the older mobster guy. That would be more age appropriate. Uh -huh. Well, most most great actors are very critical of themselves, but they end up giving like the best performances when they think they're not that great. And you're, you're one of those actors is like, well, I'm not that I wasn't that good. You end up giving a great performance. Oh, well, thank you so much. Yeah. That's really yeah. kind. Um, let me, uh, let's see here. Make sure I get this the right title. You also are an author. Vicious Dogs Attack Me in Sleepless Nights of Summer. How did you come up with that title? Okay, well, the story behind the book and the title, uh -huh. that's the title of one of the poems. It's a book of collected poems and short stories mm -hmm. that were written uh, in the mid 80s up to the middle to late 90s, almost like a 10 or 12 year period. Um, no secret, I had a severe alcohol and drug problem for quite a lot of years. And one thing I would end up doing, or almost the only thing I was capable of doing sometimes, was writing it down, writing down my thoughts. It was almost like a journal like mm -hmm. an alcoholic's journal. Mm -hmm. um, and then it's a blessing I'm sober now many years, mm -hmm. but somebody had said to me not long ago, why don't we clean up that collection of poetry and it would make a, a nice uh, collection of prose and tales that people could see where you came from. A lot of that was written during the time we were shooting clerks. Mm -hmm. So the one beautiful thing about that collection, and it was just released on Audible, mm -hmm. thanks to COVID, I had nothing but time to sit and do the, the reading of the Audible. Um, one really wonderful takeaway, which was never intended, is that a lot of people found some kind of positive recovery message in the book. But that was never the intention because the book doesn't apologize for the addicted lifestyle mm -hmm. and it doesn't promote it. 
It kind of just is. But I guess as a result of the fact that I did make it through and with grace, nothing but grace and a lot of people behind me, uh, I eventually sobered up. I mean, I'm no angel, but I don't drink anymore. I haven't drank in this 4th of July. It'll be 15 years. Good. You know, I think it's, it's, I think that book is really unique because a lot of people now they get creative by getting high smoking, you know, pot, but something like that, you know, having your thoughts up, was it after or during when you were drinking? The actual writing? Yeah. The writing. Was it like after an afterthought after like, Oh man, or, or like the hangover. Well, you know, hangovers are a strange thing when you're truly mm-hmm. an alcoholic. You rarely, you rarely experience them because you keep drinking. Mm-hmm. Okay, I was that kind of drinker. I was a binge drinker. Mm-hmm. It was horrible. I was the Walking Dead. I'd drink for days at a time and literally go MIA. Um, a lot of it was done during the haze, and a lot of it was done just in between the haze, mm-hmm. and some was done just as the haze was beginning. So I was in all levels of, and the book title says that, Mm. uh, a collection of prose and streams of semi-consciousness because I was really in a state for a lot of the book. Uh Uh-huh. Now, when I was watching the podcast too, I saw some of the uh, drawings, which is really, really uh, breathtaking. I mean, there's this imaginative, the uh, illustrator, I can't, think of the name off the top of my head but the illustrator for your book is he's really good scott yeah he's phenomenal i love the guy he's not only worked with me as an artist but we've become good friends over the years uh scott meany scott Scott meany can be found on facebook yeah he and i actually did a film with him Mm. that he directed called the puppet apocalypse oh yeah one of the fun most fun things i've ever done and uh, it's really kind of funny to get to be a character that throughout the course of a film, you start off human and then you get turned into a puppet. Yeah. It was hilarious. <laughs> but Scott Meany is a genius. Wow. I say that he, he's, he's an artist's artist. He's wow. really the real deal. Have you guys talked about making a movie from the book? We actually talked about turning the book into a series of vignettes mm. because the book doesn't read like a biography or at all. Yeah. It's basically a bunch of, I mean, some of the stories are related. Some of them aren't. Uh, there's one very long piece in there. Not very long, but mm. for, the, for this book, it was long. It's a piece called low. And he was thinking of directing that with actors but the actors would be going through the actions of the poem as you heard a voiceover. But, you know, I don't know. There's just so many, again, I feel so blessed to be busy with a lot of different things. And uh, working with Scott is always really gratifying. He's now working on a, another uh, puppet thing. Mm-hmm. Um and the name is slipping me and I feel terrible. But if you look up anything on my Facebook or Scott Meany, mm-hmm. you'll see he's got a like a holiday special coming with puppets. And I did oh. some music for that. 
Yeah, uh, speaking of uh, your composer as well, when you compose music for a film, do you watch the film first or do you have it this composed and you just have the idea, he tells you that the director tells you the idea or the writer tells you the idea and then you compose it just before it's completed? Well, that is, that's an interesting question because it happens a number of different ways. Mm -hmm. And the reason why that is, at least for me, is it depends on what it depends on how the director likes to work mm. the, the director and the producer and it depends on budget um i have a giant library of music i've been playing since i'm seven years old and i've been recording since i'm 15 years old so i've got literally hard drives full of wow pre-recorded music that if they give me a mood i'll give them something that's already done mm -hmm. and they'll say well maybe they'll just use it outright as it is or they'll make some tweaks to it mm -hmm. um and then there's the ones where i'm at the keyboard literally watching the film mm -hmm. like a love scene uh-huh and literally playing the piano to the film, which that is the most gratifying and awesome way to do it. Um, that's certainly the more traditional Hollywood way to do it. Um, you're literally cutting it to frame as opposed to laying in an already <clears throat> existing piece of music. So there's a movie that came out last year that I'm very proud of the score. It's called Wit's End, mm -hmm. uh, David Madison film. It's on Amazon now. It's on all of the platforms. But uh, I got to do a wide array of music because a large part of the movie, there's no dialogue. It's a guy that's, I don't want to give too much away, but there's mm -hmm. not a lot of dialogue. Man against nature. So it's a lot of nature. A lot of opportunity for music. Now you have a CD, Shoestring Serenade, which actually has a lot of royalty free music, right? That's correct. It's all, uh, you buy the CD mm -hmm. and then you could reuse any of the music on there. Uh, what I asked, I asked for credit, mm -hmm. uh, but nothing else. Um, and even that isn't a deal breaker because uh. the majority of the money from that record goes to the Angels of Animals which is a rescue up here in Northern New Jersey. So I, I wanted to find a different way mm -hmm. to a slightly different twist to releasing music because the business has changed so much yeah. over the years. And the fact that discs are dying and everything's downloads and streaming, yeah. um, I wanted to try to do a twist on it. So I took about an hour and a half maybe it's not that long, maybe about an hour worth of collected, collected works of music I have done for other films throughout mm -hmm. the years and put it on the CD so that when you buy that or download it, however you purchase it, you can use any of that in your own. Some people use it in their podcasts, in a yeah. film, as a background to a commercial, whatever. So I, I tried to do a little something unique with it. I I, I looked at it. On, it's, it's on Amazon for people who want to get it. Uh, how many tracks are on on that CD? 
or that album? Oh gosh, there's quite a lot because some wow. of them are literally only two or three minutes long. There's at least 18, okay. if not more. I, you know, it's crazy. I don't know my own record, but I've got two of them here. Let's see. Um, I don't know. I know that the glare is pretty bad, but um, this is the audio book. Okay. Um, oh, I keep it so dark in here. I can't even see, but there's quite a lot of tracks. Cool. There's at least, uh, there's 24 tracks in all. So that's a lot of different types of music to choose from. There's orchestral music, there's piano music, there's guitar music. Yeah. Um, and over the years, I've been very fortunate to uh, get to uh, stay in the business by doing other things other than acting. Mm. And scoring films was another way to keep in the business and not always have to be front and center. And I know you also said you edited nonlinear. What what uh, what system do you used when you when you edited movies? Well, I'm a PC guy. I'm not uh, a Mac guy. I got, I've got nothing yeah. against Mac. I'm not yeah. one of the you know. A lot of people get you know. There's there's like Apple snobs and PC snobs. Mm -hmm. PC is just what I learned and yeah. what I like. So I'm on a PC and I'm in all use all the Adobe products. Premiere. Yeah, Adobe's really good. Yeah. Yeah. After Effects, all of those. Yeah. The uh, only thing, the only one that I, I think I've used iMovie and I used a, a lot of Adobe. The only thing that I was kind of frustrated with, I tried, but I, I'm, I just like, I can't do it, is the Avid. Have you ever tried the Avid? I've never tried Avid. No. Yeah. I think, or Final Cut. Final Cut's a little bit more advanced than Premiere to me. I think Adobe is a little bit easier. You know, it's funny because a lot, you know, a good hand, I'm, I'm using those programs now uh -huh. like 20 years. Yeah. Originally, Adobe Premiere was very user unfriendly. Uh -huh. At least that's what they said. I mean, like, you really, I remember learning it myself and technically there was a big curve, but I'm a super geek. I love computers. Yeah. Um, but the way that the programs, uh, Premiere and After Effects, we would do titling and effects in. Mm -hmm. And once upon a time when you would author a DVD, you would do that in Encore. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot less of that now because everything's streaming. Yeah. I remember back in the day when I started Adobe Premiere, it's like I had so much trouble because it would always crash. And <laughs> But I think now, now with technology and space, I think it, that really doesn't happen anymore, right? <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, you really need a lot of horsepower. You need a great mm. video card, you know, not just an average video card, especially now with 4K and HD video. It's crazy. Mm. But we're going back to a time when I first learned it, uh -huh. where you would be capturing from mini DV tape. You had to capture from tape. So yeah. when the whole thing changed to cards and files, you swapped over. To me, that mm. was just like really awesome and amazing. Yeah. But you need a lot of firepower. You need a lot of RAM, a good video card. Mm -hmm. And now it's, it's really good to have a, a solid state drive rather than an old school drive. And nowadays, too, you, you really don't need to get into a, a studio because like with uh, all the technology that you can have your own, your own studio as long as you have all the instruments, you know. Right. I, I mean, you can't see. You only see behind me. 
I, you can I, see I, a drum kit and a couple of guitars, but there's like another half a dozen guitars over there. Two really nice monitors. I mean, audio mm -hmm. monitors. It is a, it is a recording setup for music because even before computers. And how how many how many instruments do you actually own? Because I know I, mean, I, I have a picture. I have a picture back in my wall of you with a bunch of guitars in the back, but I know I'm pretty sure you have more than that now. <laughs> yeah, I've got. Let's see. There's uh, three, six, seven guitars currently. One of them is what I call the clerk's bass, uh -huh. which someday that's going to go up for auction. Oh, nice. But everybody from the cast has signed it, mm -hmm. with the exception of Lisa Spoonhour, rest her soul. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I've even got Jeff Anderson. He signed the strap of the bass. Uh -huh. uh, all of the comic book men have signed it. So that instrument that's cool. is being saved for something. But yeah, I got a bunch of guitars and the keyboard and... I play a little harmonica. I got a, a bass that I use for the for now, the demoing. Now, as a Beatles fan, do you have a Hofner bass? I don't know. No, no. I have. Um, How about Rickenbacker? You don't have a jolly rig. guitar. It's a. Uh, now I'm forgetting what it is. It's not a honer. Uh huh. My gosh, mm. it's terrible. I feel like I should know all these things. Yeah. Sterling Sub, but I know it's it's a different name than uh -huh. that. You know, it's a mid-range bass. It's nothing too pricey. It's like a, it's in the four hundred dollar yeah. range. But it's a beautiful bass. It's got the active pickups. Now going back to your 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 book on on uh, audio, I know you wanted your friends like Brian and others uh, to uh, narrate. Is that still a possibility in the future for like a deluxe edition? Well, it's interesting you bring that up because Audible, Audible strongly suggested that you do the author version first. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to do a guest readers, then it would be like a novelty release. Mm -hmm. So, but you know, many years ago when the book first came out, mm -hmm. I was very much... I got a project going where I was going to have a lot of guest readers and a number of people, there was a budget for it and everything. And a number of people uh, sent in their recordings. Um, mm. But what happened was the original clerks three years ago, mm. sort of got put on the shelf indefinitely. Uh -huh. And it, it really made the decision to put the audio book out with all those guests at that time, mm. some of the producers were cooling off on the idea because they were hoping that when clerks three came out, we'd be able to promote the audio CD because there'd be a lot of people from the viewers universe reading. Mm. But then, you know, fast forward, you got COVID and you got audible telling me, you know, it really, the author should read. If you're going to do that, think about it in the future for mm -hmm. a novelty release. Yeah, that'd be cool. I, it would I, be. I, I, I've, I've heard some of it on, on Brian's podcast, but it'd be kind of cool to have different voices as well, just to get a different interpretation of the, the poets and the, thought, the poems and the thoughts. I agree. I agree. There, I mean, we had female. There's a good handful of females. Marilyn Gigliotti read a couple of pieces. Yeah. Um, 
Diana Devlin, who's been in a bunch of Kevin's works, but it's also Brian's partner in life. She read, mm -hmm. She's going to read a few pieces. Um, there's somebody that, a person from the rock world who I love, her name is Genyan Raven. Mm -hmm. She's been around forever. She's a New York staple. She read. Um, so, yeah, it was a mix of voices. But I don't know when or how we're going to make that happen just yet. And especially... Disc, discs are dying at such a fast rate. Yeah, Amazon is discontinuing their disc from authors. Mm -hmm. um, they no longer self-publish discs. And the discs that are up there are going to stop being manufactured. It's heartbreaking. Yeah, well, I, I, I know. It's like uh, there used to be so many great record stores like Power Records and Silver Platters, and they're gone now. Yeah. Everything has gone to streaming. Oh, believe me, I, uh, I'm, I'm a lot, I'm, I'm probably a lot older than people realize. I'm in my late fifties. Uh -huh. So I was a kid when record stores were, you know, yeah. before I, you know, I, I'm doing it since way before CDs, CDs hit. Like I was just about in high school just about to start junior college mm -hmm. when CDs became a big deal. But um, I really do miss the old school way of record stores, bookstores, mm -hmm. movies, even movies on DVD and Blu-ray are, are just dying yeah. because of streaming. But there's a lot of good. I love technology. I love computers. You can't stop the progress. So... Well, I'm I'm not that young either. I'm I'm 45, and I remember back in the day with the A-tracks and the cassettes. So I know, yeah. <laughs> I know. I used to have tons of cassettes. Yeah. So you know, oh, you yeah. could, it was exciting. I mean, an yeah. album, an album of your favorite artist. You would just stare at it and read it, oh, read yeah. the liner notes, and it yeah. was an experience that you just don't really have now. I mean, it's coming back a little bit. I just remember the hiss in between each song and then going to see from that to CD is like, well, oh, there's no hiss. There's no. Right. Right. <laughs> or a track. You'd literally hear another track in mm -hmm. between other tracks. Or it would, or it would fade down to one track and then come back and then another, there'd be different channels. So you'd be listening to one song that fade and then go back to the next channel and come back up. Yeah. Eight tracks off. were brutal. Eight tracks were brutal, man. Yeah. <laughs> So you know what? I was trying to look for NHRS, but I can't find. I just saw the trailer. Uh, is there any way to, to check that out? Because well, I wanted. That, to, I was curious to see that NHRS. I saw a trailer on YouTube. NHRS is still available on DVD through Amazon. Okay, I'll have to look and that up. It will. It looked, be like, it looked really funny. You want to know? We were again very fortunate. We won uh, two thousand six best comedy feature at the new york independent international mm. film festival which was such a wonderful night and such an honor because our you know it, it was a very well attended festival so to sit and watch the movie we, we had a packed screening and it wasn't just everybody who worked on the movie it's a lot of strangers in the audience mm -hmm. and to sit way in the back and they hear them laughing and really enjoying the movie was one of the most gratifying things ever. And then to end up getting the best comedy was just a giant blessing. 
uh, that's going to eventually be available for streaming, but uh, it's still available on DVD. Now, what what genre do you? I know that you also said you know, mostly have the the uh, characters you play are loud and angry. What what uh, what character or acting performance would you prefer if you were looking for new roles? Well, you know, I don't. I don't necessarily, uh, I don't want to use the word judge. Mm -hmm. I, I don't deduce what I like about a script because of its mm -hmm. genre per se. It's something about the character that I could really relate to. Uh -huh. And that would either be a challenge to perform or something I feel I'm really connected to. Mm -hmm. I'm not one of the, I'm not the type of actor who's a real chameleon you know, uh, there's a little bit of me and all of the people I play. Mm -hmm. uh, but my favorite genres as a fan are drama, comedy. Um, I love documentaries. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not the biggest war movie guy or Westerns, mm -hmm. but um, I give almost everything a shot. I love movies. I just wow. grew up loving movies, you know? You're you're really good at uh, doing detective. The the one I saw of you as a detective, it's like wow, it's your, you don't even recognize it's you. <laughs> Probably because I'm so used to seeing your facial hair, so it's like right. Wow, That's linger. I, it's funny. Uh, yesterday was that writer director's birthday. Uh -huh. His name is Tom Zanka. Uh -huh. uh, Tom Zanka has he and I have worked on a number of projects together. He's a fantastic writer and director. He's primarily drama and uh linger is one of my all-time to this day favorite i mean you never know what happens in the future i i'm not saying if you know i'm hoping the best is ahead yeah but uh, to this point linger is one of my all-time favorite productions and roles because i'm not some loud mouth maniac he's a very down-to-earth very somber small town detective I mean, it's like a, that's like a hidden gem. I think that people should take, you know, more people should take note on that movie and like get you on like CSI or Law and Order. <laughs> well, thank You'd you be so a great, much. You'd really, be a great cast member for that. That's really, really kind. I really yeah. appreciate it. Thank yeah. you so much. All right. Well, let me get to a clerk's question here. The Chulies guy. How come we never found out his name? Did he have a name and did he have a backstory? No name, no backstory. Um, the way I approached it and the mm -hmm. way it's written, mm -hmm. it's written to be bombastic and stand out. Mm -hmm. So again, keep using the word blessing, mm -hmm. but for a character actor, for any actor, if you did not get one of the lead roles in Clerks, the Chulies guy for a male was one of the, really sweet character roles mm -hmm. and I was fortunate to get it because it's written to stand out. It's right at the beginning of the movie and it's madness. It's a riot. Mm -hmm. So, but to answer your question, no, mm -hmm. I, I didn't delve into backstory for him per se. Mm -hmm. um, what I did do was play it as drama, mm -hmm. which is why it's probably, Excuse me, why people find it so funny. Because mm. the Chulies Gum guy is deadly serious. Yeah. Until he gets caught. <laughs> yeah. You know, then, then the jig is up. 
but I didn't play it for laughs uh. as much as I played it for seriousness. And in the uncut version of the film, mm. you know, it's on the Xbox, the clerk's 10th anniversary. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's out on the Blu-ray now and everything. There's the Kevin's original cut of the film. The gum guy stuff is a little bit longer by about maybe two minutes. But uh, he goes into a, a couple of different rants. Um, so I've always, I got so used to the uncut one because he mm. sent that to us and we lived with that VHS for about a year almost until the film came out. And then the Miramax version, it was a slightly different edit of the gum guy. But um, no backstory on that guy, no name even. People ask me what was on the card that I hand her, and that was uh, that I hand Marilyn Gigliotti, Veronica. Uh, that was one of my own personal acting cards. Uh-huh. Oh, I was, I was wondering what did it say on the card? But uh, how much, how much did you ad lib on that character, and how much freedom did Kevin give you for that, or did Kevin say oh, this is how I want it on the, from the script? Zero ad lib. Okay. Um. Kevin is a phenomenal writer, which mm-hmm. we all know now. Oh, yeah. Granted, it was his first film. We were all uh, much younger and we were all looking for more experience. But after I got to meet him and have a few conversations with him, I knew we were in good hands. He was wa- so much more, he was really wise for his age mm-hmm. and great with words, has a great vocabulary. And his script and his verbiage that really means the world to him. In fact, Kevin has said over the years that he hears the film before he sees it, almost like a comedy album. Now, later on, he's allowed actors to have fun with it, loosen it up, do some improv. But there was no room for that with Clerks because the budget was so tight. Mm-hmm. You only got one or two, three takes tops to nail it and get on to the next scene. So there was, it wasn't an atmosphere for much ad-libbing. So that's almost lick for lick, uh-huh. his actual words. And how surreal was it to go back and do shooting clerks? Not, not playing the same character or seeing the same character, but playing his father. Did he, did uh, he have long talks with you about how his father was? How did, how did you research for the role of his father, Don? Well, I didn't really have as much access to Kevin as I did Ernie O'Donnell, who plays Rick Derris. Mm-hmm. And Ernie O'Donnell is a childhood friend of Kevin's. Mm-hmm. So he spent a lot of time around the family. Yeah. And I talked with him a lot about, because I was very nervous because we all know what an important figure mm-hmm. Don Smith was in Kevin's life. And he talks about him in the Q and A's a lot. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to do it justice. I, you know, the, I, I think the guy was a sweetheart of a guy mm-hmm. and he supported Kevin, not so much with rah, rah, but with just yes, rather than a no, you know, give it a yeah. shot, give it a try. You know, he, he planted the seed for films in Kevin at a young age. And uh, it's a beautiful story. I mean, Kevin's career is had the trajectory of uh, he, a career. He's 
25 years still in the in the public eye making movies and writing yeah. books and doing podcasts so uh don smith was a really important figure in kevin's life and i just wanted to do him justice he's not on screen that much mm-hmm. you know it's little bursts but um it was in the attitude more in the in the uh vibe more than it was in a tremendous amount of dialogue and and kevin would say his father wasn't a man of many words but when he spoke he chose them carefully and he really meant everything he said so wow. i had that going in i heard that he had got emotional when he saw you on the screen so i think that's a a good thing that's a yeah uh, you know and i and honestly i didn't personalize that yeah. as much as I think I had a bit of the look going mm. and I captured some of the somber, mm. not somber, but I captured his father as that mm. serious, supportive person. And I think Kevin was overwrought with joy that filmmakers actually did the story of how he shot that movie. Mm-hmm. And it was all with love. It was all with a big heart. Yeah. So, but yeah, that was really touching that it touched him so much. That's good. Um, now I know you, you said you were in and out of touch with Kevin through the years, but was there a film of his that you say, Oh man, I, sh- I wanted to be in that movie like dogma or, or, uh, strikes back. Was there any of those movies that you wanted to be in that you wish you were in? Well, you know, we've all gone on and done a lot of different things in the mid to late nineties. I mm-hmm. had a lot of doors open up to me. Thanks to clerks. Mm-hmm. I shot a feature film with Michael DiLorenzo, mm-hmm. who was a big star. He's been a big star various times throughout his career. Mm-hmm. And then he was on New York Undercover, which yeah. was a top show on Fox. Um, so I kept busy, but th- there wasn't like a role that I thought, oh, wow, I wish I should have had that. or I wish Kevin would have thought of me for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember seeing Red State. Uh-huh. and thinking there would have been something in Red State I would have loved to have done. Um, and I forget the name of the characters, but I guess uh-huh. it was the denizens of the church. There was a lot of uh, character work done, uh, the little army of church maniacs that mm-hmm. I thought would have been a, a great role for me to yeah. have played. But um you know, if if Kevin or anybody from Kevin's world calls, yeah, you know, yeah. it's like family. It's a yes yeah. before I see anything. Yeah, I I also heard that uh, you guys go the you guys get together for the cons, and you were recently you went to a con in London. How was that? Oh man, uh, being a kid who grew up in love with the Beatles and the Rolling mm-hmm. Stones and Monty Python. Yeah anything and you know i dreamed of going to england and i never had the opportunity clerks of all things allotted me the opportunity to go and not only just go but go and get treated really nicely and uh be a guest at a convention mm-hmm. and it was amazing i got to see abbey road studios and uh, you guys go down Oh, sorry. Go ahead. That's right. I got to spend that with Brian in Maryland. It, uh, it was beautiful. And Jay, Jay was there too. Uh, um, again, blessings. I, I feel very blessed. Did you guys walk walk down the, the Abbey Road Street 
the the we did i have been yeah. you know maryland took pictures maryland's oh, yeah. also a photographer yeah. maryland took some pictures of me walking doing the it would, have, it would have been really cool if all four of you guys walked down uj yeah uh, it would in maryland <laughs> that it would have been a clerk's story. beatles moment <laughs> right i'll tell you what um, that cross section was not free for more than five minutes ever uh it's always packed i've heard unbelievable yeah um, 50 years later after abbey road uh, everybody wants to take a picture like abbey road yeah and Funny. did they, they allow you to, the, to give you a tour of the studios inside or you can just no, go I, in I, and... I, that that would have happened if we had the time but because of the con uh -huh. we were you know our off time was much later at night uh-huh and the studio shuts down to tours and even the gift shop, which I would have loved to have seen mm. was closed, but just to see it. And, uh, you know, I've had pictures in front of it. Um, dream come true for me. Uh, mm. You know, I, I literally grew up on the Beatles and the Stones and all the music of the 60s and 70s, but mm -hmm. certainly the British invasion was a big thing. Yeah. Well, they, they still are. I mean, forever they're going to be you know the phenomenon that's true i yeah. i i would argue that you are completely correct with that. i haven't i haven't seen you like you know i've heard ringo said there hasn't been a big monster since us i mean we're still waiting for the big monster <laughs> of music right well you know they it's the birth of rock music mm -hmm. as an art form before mm -hmm. the beatles you had a lot of cool people Mm. people i love chuck berry elvis presley yeah. you know little richard but a band that literally played their own instruments and wrote their own songs and had huge hits mm. they really were the first to create that mold yeah and then it fell over like dominoes uh rolling stones the kinks you know you had a ton of bands now that were trying to emulate that model which is we play and we write our own material mm -hmm. and yeah, th th there never will be just no, because of yeah. The, the yeah just because yeah. of how history has uh moved forward there couldn't possibly be another yeah. you know you can't reinvent the wheel yeah you can alter it maybe shine it but not <laughs> you can't right as a ton it. of I love the music of all decades. I love the seventies, oh, eighties, yeah. nineties. Uh, I'm not as up as I used to be in the older days. There's some artists that are good now, but there's not a whole lot that, you know, like there was in the sixties and the seventies. It was like everybody was trying to be the Beatles, but they were having their own sound. Right, right. There's not as much rock. Rock is yeah. not the dominant yeah. uh, pop form anymore. But that is, hey, that's okay. Now, uh, do you have anything new you're working on, I guess, as far as composing or um, like well, writing? I, at the very moment, I got a con coming up in June. Mm -hmm. It's called the 90s Fan Fest. It's virtual, though. Mm -hmm. But film and music wise, I did have a busy 2020. Uh -huh. And a lot of that stuff is just starting to come out. Uh -huh. uh, Wits End. Yeah. with david madison and brian o'halloran is also in wit's end can be found on amazon um darkness waits which is a wonderful 
I mean, I don't know if I'd call it horror. It's a mix of horror and thriller mm -hmm. by Libby McDermott and Matt Stolle, Libmatic Productions, Libmatic mm -hmm. Films, Darkness Waits. It's their sequel to a film they did called Dead Woman's Hollow. Mm -hmm. And I got to play the sheriff, a fairly seedy sheriff mm -hmm. of the town who doesn't want to admit that there's a lot of unresolved murders going on. So that film was a joy to work on and it's, it really came out well. Uh, that's fairly new and that's out on both Blu-ray and on Amazon and, and on a bunch of platforms. Uh, Tom Zanka did a web series called The Deep State, mm. which could be found on YouTube, which I did the music for and I have a very small character role. Mm. But I've been blessed to keep busy during COVID. Uh, I'm curious to see where we go from here. Uh, it's a crazy time. Uh, I mean, we've never experienced anything like this, you know, mm -hmm. taking a day at a time. I, I have personal friends who have lost family members. Yeah, here too. So, yeah, I mean, but it's yeah. a horrible thing, you know. I'm hoping, you know, the light will shine and we'll get better and we can go and actually hang out in cons and talk to people and take pictures and, and not know, think hang twice out, about it, hang out and have, have coffee and stuff like that. Right. And not have to think twice about it, you know? Yeah. Well, brother, I'm literally losing my voice. All right. Well, you do you think you can you uh, end it out with a little musical piece? Sure. This this piece of music was for Tom Zanka's Deep State. It's okay. just a small, it's a haunting little melody. That's great. It's beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. That that's the main. It's short and sweet, but it mm -hmm. it's it's uh, plays throughout, and it serves a lot of purposes. Sometimes it's played by a violin. Uh -huh. Sometimes it's played by a string, not, not like a string section, um, and sometimes it's just the haunting piano. Cool. Well, I don't want to kill your voice, so. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll end it here for now until we can meet in person. Listen, I want to thank you very much. You, uh, you did a phenomenal job. Well, thank you. It's been an honor to have you on our podcast and as our first guest for Kevin's kids. There you go. Yeah. As we come to a close, I'd like to thank once again, Scott Chiafo for chatting with us on Kevin's kids. Stay tuned for more of this series on the Mad Bros Media Zoom podcast.